Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I've been thinking a lot lately about love. We love love. We love being in love. I love talking about how much I love my husband. I love the feeling of being in love. Love comes in so many unexpected ways. Maybe this has been on my mind because I just got married. It's fresh and new, and as humans, deep down, we all want to be loved. Which always brings me back to the Bible. A friend once said to me, enjoy reading the greatest love story ever written. And I always found that a funny thing to say, until I finally fell in love and started to understand. Started to see the things that I feared or was excited about, the commitment made to another person. The Bible is a love story. One filled with suffering, violence, death, but also accompaniment, sacrifice, friendship, and hope. From the very beginning of creation, God created relationship with God's people by forming us in God's image, in God's likeness. You and I were made in the image of God, a divine image. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see time and time again God's love for us. To keep building relationship, covenant promises help when we cry out. And then God comes to us in a way we never would have expected. God went incognito. He became Jesus, who was himself God, came to the world and became human just like you and me. Philippians 2.6 says this, Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. Why would he do this? This is the ultimate.
ultimate example of God's reckless love for us. And the word here that I want to lift up is in verse 7 of Philippians, the word kenosis. And the word means emptying. It is a way of saying Christ emptied himself, self-emptied. It's a concrete image. It looks like a vessel with water that is being poured out. Kenosis means to empty, to self-empty, to choose to pour out to some, into something else. So Christ emptied, poured himself out and took on the form of a slave. Slave is a provocative word to use in an empire that is built on the back of slaves. Christ poured out all power and privilege to receive something else, to become something else. To receive something else, you have to let go of something. Something has to be poured out. To be filled with something, you have to have an empty vessel. That is what is being described here. Now, what does it mean to be poured out, to be emptied? What does it mean for Christ to self-empty of God and to be filled with the vessel of humanity? Well, scholars and theologians go about this a few different ways. One way is to use the biggest categories for God possible. Theological words like omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, any of the omni words to describe God that refer to all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, this kind of thing that these aspects of being is what Christ is self-emptying. Which makes sense because you cannot be a human being and be omnipotent and omniscient, even though some of us like to think that we are. Paul is saying something extremely radical here. That God loved humanity so much that God took on humans with all its frailty, infallibility, God became frail, vulnerable, even to the point of death, poured out. Another way to talk about kenosis is grounded in Isaiah chapter 53. This is often called the passage of the suffering servant. If you never read it, I highly recommend it because the early Christian community read the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures particularly the prophets, to make sense of the life of Jesus. On the suffering servant passage found in Isaiah 53, it says this, and he poured himself out. This sacrificial nature that Jesus emptied himself, he put other people's interests ahead of his own and emptied himself. This is the image that Paul is reflecting on. And this would be an easy passage, easy for us to hear if these words were solely about Jesus and what was done on our behalf. But the patterns, the stories, the truths in the scriptures are not just for us, but they happen in us. The invitation for us is radical. It's transformative. Christ's life is to be a blueprint for our lives. 
We are called to have the same mindset as Christ, a mindset that makes us happy to suffer loss of our own privileges, our own status, our own wealth, so that we can humble ourselves to lift others up. To follow Jesus is not a way upwards, it is a way downward. It is an emptying of ourselves to be filled up. This is the point Paul is making to the Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look to not your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. In the book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor quotes ethicist Stanley Harawas and says this about Christianity. Quote, is not a set of beliefs or doctrines one believes in order to be a Christian, but rather Christianity is to have one's body shaped one's habits determined in such a way that the worship of God is unavoidable. In our embodied life together, the words of our doctrines take on flesh. The words of our doctrines take on flesh. If our belief that God loves the world and that God loves us and that we are claimed by the name that is above all names. If that belief has no value in forming and shaping us in concrete ways, if we cannot come up with a single consequence this good news has for life together, then we need to ask ourselves, why bother with it at all? God is at work to carry out God's gracious will to make real in our lives the reality of Jesus' life. We must equally be at work each day of our lives to spell out the implications of that love. Or as Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We must love others with a reckless love to empty ourselves and be filled with Christ. But what does that look like for us who live in a world that makes everything so conditional? What are the implications of loving people with a reckless love? If we go back to the beginning of the sermon, I said that God created humankind in God's image. And this isn't the first time that you've heard that. So most of you nodded and said, yeah, yeah, all people are made in God's image. Got it. God created everyone equal, right? Author Austin Channing Brown in the Theo Ed talks about this divine image that we all created in and says this, that our society would suggest that we do not believe that. That in our daily exchanges with one another, we do not believe that. In our emails and gossip, in our Facebook posts and post-meeting comments, but on a micro level, we don't treat each other with dignity, then how will we on a macro level? If we really believed in the dignity, the inherent dignity of black people, of LGBTQ people, of women, 
of immigrants, of humans, we would be unable to sleep at night. If we really believed that God created all of us in the image of God's self, we would not be able to stand mass incarceration. If we really believed that all children were created in the image of the divine, our education system would be unacceptable and intolerable. If we had a reckless love for all people, the minimum wage would be unacceptable as it stands. If we had a reckless love for those fighting mental illness, we would fund more services. If we had a reckless love for all people, we wouldn't be so scared to say that black lives matter. Choosing to cultivate a reckless love for black bodies means cultivating a reckless love for all bodies. Choosing to cultivate a reckless love for God's people will require courage. It will require the words of our doctrines taking on flesh. Because racial injustice is impacting real lives. Racial injustice is killing real bodies. Racial injustice is starving real children. The truth is that we have all, if you grew up in America, have some have been indoctrinated with a centuries-old belief that God created some humans better than others. And that belief was so ingrained that it allowed for the enslavement of a whole people group. That's how convinced our society was of the inherent difference. And that belief is still persistent today. Do we have the courage as people of God to do the hard work of undoing and dismantling a theology that has been poisonous to you to me and to our society. An idea that keeps us from thriving because when one part of the body is hurting, we are all hurting. We are all made in the image of God. And the Apostle Paul is calling on the Philippians to empty themselves so that they can be filled with Christ. To love recklessly like Christ does for us. Our society is still bearing the marks of what we believed as a society about blackness. It's time to realize that in America, our language needs to change. We have been grossly impacted by the world of slavery, redlining, and segregation. Grossly impacted by the world of mass incarceration and unequal education. It's time to empty ourselves and be filled with Christ, to widen our circles, to read more books by diverse authors, to watch more movies by female directors, to invite different friends to our dinner table, to pay attention to our actions in the world and what they say about the divine God that we believe in. It's time to dine with taxpayers and prostitutes, to be filled up with widows and adulterers, 
no matter their race, sexual orientation, gender, or economic status. Loving recklessly is hard and humble work. Emptying ourselves is hard and humble work. But it is the path that Christ has laid before us. Christ humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And if we really are going to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, then it comes with loving the world with a reckless kind of love. What a beautiful gift we have received to be loved by a God so recklessly that we receive grace upon grace. What a beautiful gift to be charged with loving the world with a reckless kind of love. There's some song lyrics that I carry with me and I give to you today as you journey throughout your week, as we think about how we are emptied and filled with Christ. We are called to love one another. We are called to love tenderly. We are called to act with justice. 